Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, here we are. Hello. It was hard to break loose last week, wasn't it? Because we were just in a good part. First John chapter 4. We've gone through the first three verses that, that talk about there many false prophets had gone into the world. And then those false prophets are defined as those who do not acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is divine deity. Notice what was not in there. That all of the things that we use to attack each other weren't in there. It is, they're false if they don't agree that Jesus is, is God and from God. All the other things we can work it out if we truly obey the rest of the commands, which are all about love. And in fact, this week, next week as well, is going to sound a bit repetitive. And that is because John gets very repetitive here. He wants to drum this in. I've met uh, a lot of preachers that knew they were at pretty much the end of their shelf life. Uh, ministers have a hard time dealing with that, including me. Um, you know, I, a lot of my invitations to speak dried up when we started our safe harbor because we went past some lines that other people had drawn and that got them upset. And then as you get older, you also lose a few of those invitations. That, By the way, this is not a complaint at all. You know, my life is full. I'm on the road a lot, life is good. But you, you lose a lot of those invitations because, and rightly so, it's the next generation's turn to, to rise and shine and learn how to talk and such. So older ministers, sometimes whenever they preach, you'll notice that they tend to leave a lot of sentences uncompleted in their rush to say the next sentence. So what, what's going on there? At some level, most probably not consciously, but at some level, they're aware that their time of speaking and your time of listening to them is limited. And so they're trying to rush it all out. Yeah, and instead of slowing down and just delivering a message that has one thought, they may bombard you and hop all around. And by the time you leave there, you feel like a pinball. You're just wondering, all right, he, you know, they backed the feed truck up and dumped everything right in front of my plate and I don't know what to do with it. That's our fault, not your fault. That's just life. It's the way it goes. John is in that stage of life. And we know that, you know, historically, we know it for a lot of reasons. Other people wrote about John during this time and his followers, you know, Irenaeus, Polycarp, all these others, they also wrote at this time. So we know he's a very old man here most likely 90 or a few years either side of that. So what's he, what's he need to get on the table? Well, as we said in the introduction to this book, love. It seems to be that John has seen the rise of Christianity all through almost two generations now, past the time of the resurrection. And he sees what isn't there that needs to be put in, just like his gospel put in stories that he saw were not in the other three. 
What is it that Christians need to remember? That Christ is divine and love is the rule. And so love, love, love. You're going to hear this a lot. I remember, I may have brought this up sometime. <clears throat> I remember uh, we were allowed to go to a camp once, a Christian camp for Christian kids, because it was you know, being run by the right branch of the right group of our right religious tribe. And yet my father was very, very upset whenever they sang a, a, an old song. I think it probably comes out of the 60s, at least early 70s. That was love, 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 love. The gospel in one word is love. Well, there are other verses, you know, peace, 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 joy, joy. But that one sent him off. He was convinced that um, they were trying to make us hippies. Uh, it sounded like an, an American Indian chant anyway. That bothered him. Uh, but he was, he was saying the gospel is more than love. The gospel is baptism. The gospel is faithfulness. And, you know, he did that because he believed it. But in John... John goes, yeah, he agrees. Love, love is it. If you're going to make a mistake, make it on the side of love. And by the way, you are going to make mistakes. I, I know because I'm a very accomplished mistake maker. When you make them, err on the side of love. Because the Bible says those who give mercy obtain mercy. So you might want to remember that sometime, all right? Especially those of us on Twitter. Oh my goodness, I won't even go over what I saw today. Uh, starting at verse 4, talking about those old, you know, those false prophets that deny the deity of Christ. They've gone out into the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Oh man, wouldn't it be great if he had written that to us instead of who, who did he write this to? Well, there's the thing, isn't it? He didn't write it to, for example, Corinth or Rome. He wrote it to believers. So although your name wasn't on the envelope, this applies to you and to me. We've already overcome the world. And back in June, the first two Sundays of June, uh, there's actually a four sermon series and those two are in the middle, the first two Sundays of June. You can go back and listen to those sermons on our podcast or you can watch the worship, fast forward to the sermons if you wish. Uh, and you're going to find that I spend a great amount of time talking about reality and living within reality. And our reality is we've already overcome the world. Now we don't act like it. We walk around as if the world's beaten up on us and the world is winning and oh no, what are we going to do? This is going to be terrible. Whatever you left for our children. Sure, sure. There's a, you want to, you want to look at the world that way. There, are, there's a ton of evidence for you, but there's something else you need to remember. This isn't our home. We are pilgrims and strangers here. We are citizens of a different kingdom as scripture says, and we've already overcome the world. We are not trying to be good so we can go to heaven. We're going to heaven. What we try to do is be a preview, a foretaste of heaven in the here and now. So we've already overcome the world because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We talked a bit about that last week. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us, and that's how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Those that listen to us about the deity of Christ and love 
Well, then they're of God. Those that don't, then they're not. That's kind of rather binary and, and stark, isn't it? But thank God that John made this very, very simple. And so should we. Don't clutter it up too much. Life is cluttered. We don't speak from the viewpoint of the world. Therefore, we don't measure success in the same way. We don't measure anything in the same way, really. You know, it's, it's, um, it's staggering how easy it is to accept the standards of the world, the language of the world, and go along with the world, even when we're not aware we're doing it. The world tries to evangelize us far more than we've ever tried to evangelize it. So we need to know that. We need to get, you know, tighten the belt a bit, stand up strong, throw your shoulders back, and face the world and love whoever's in front of us with whatever we've got, wherever we are. That's it, that'll keep you busy. That's a big ask, actually, because some of the people out there, don't spread this about, let's just keep this between us. Some of the people out there aren't very lo lovable. Some of them even show up in our mirror, so, wow. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Listen to this, listen to this. This is not hyperbole, I don't think. I think he's actually trying for precision here. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, wait a minute. Uh, general principle, we can accept, except we keep thinking of those really good people that don't believe in Jesus. You know, I have some really good Muslim friends that are incredibly generous with their time, with their food, with their money. In fact, benevolence and, and caring for the poor is one of the pillars of Islam. So they, and they really push that. Uh, they, they live it in their lives and they do good. Well, how then can we say everybody who loves is born of God? Because they are. Our friends, even though they may not know Jesus, they know that there's a God out there and that, that the existence of that God changes everything and they allow that existence to change their behavior. Well, what about atheists? Can atheists be good and loving? Absolutely. I've met some amazing atheists who um, I've even told my wife about a couple of them saying, I keep trying to outlove them and they keep outmaneuvering me and finding a way to love me. I find that a contest sometimes. I don't know if you do or not, but you know, I'm going to win this. So far, I haven't, but I'm still going to win this. So how can we account for this? Because we are made in the image of God. And God is with us. And God is around us. We are not God. He is God. But He is through us and in us and around us. And therefore, even the good done by somebody who denies there is a God is rooted in, in God, in the fact that we are His image. He goes further, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Might live through Him means we, that, that we have eternal life, but it, it's not an eternal life that you get as a prezi at the end of, the, of your life. It's, um, it's eternal life that we have now. So since we have that, we don't do the panic, the time clock panic of the world. Where 
you know, we look in the mirror, we see wrinkles and we're going, oh no, we got to hurry up and have our jollies now. Or we could do all of this work to have fun and be secure, but instead let's steal to have our fun or let's, let's go straight to fentanyl or to met. The, the ticking of the clock is one of our greatest, um, greatest enemies. Therefore, we, we've really got to watch this. We've got to be very careful about this and instead say, we have life. We have life more abundantly. Now, this is being recorded for, um, I think, the second week in July, and, but it is being recorded in the first week of June. And it was just a couple of weeks ago that Timothy Keller, a very famous and long-serving minister in New York, uh, passed away. And I must admit to you, I've only read one of his books. I've never listened to a sermon, but a, a huge amount of my friends were very, very much impacted by his life and message. And their outpouring of grief on Twitter was, was quite touching, actually. He made some comment, Timothy Keller, when he knew he was dying, made some comment um, to the effect of that as soon as a Christian dies, there is they gain an immeasurably big leap up in their standard of living. I love that. And because the road in front of me is a whole lot shorter than the road behind me, it gives me comfort to think of that. And it should you as well. It's not something that you might get. You know, you get the prezi, present, you get the prezi. And then there'll be some people that'll look at the box, they'll shake the box. What does this do? What is this? You know, I, I can remember my son when he was just a little boy would say, you know, oh, it's a soft present, which always meant clothing. And I, I thought that was hilarious. Um, I don't, but I don't know what the, oh, it's a rattly one. Uh, you know, or, or now it's breaking up, it's even more rattly. I, I just open it. And when we open it, don't, there's no reason to be surprised. You get salvation. God already told you, you do. Because you already have it now. It's so cool. This is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Boom. Did you see it? Not that we loved, but that he loved us. So God's not going to be grading our love every day and say, pass or fail. No. He already loved us. That's a given. That's already here. Like eternal life. That's already here. Now, what are you going to do with it? Here's what I'd recommend. Family resemblance. Act like you're a member of the family. That, our family has always loved people. You know, the Christian family. Therefore, let's love people. Now, when Christians were saying, you know, we follow Jesus and we're going to grab a sword now and kill men, women, and children in the Crusades, they were not acting like the Father. They were not acting in the family business. They certainly weren't acting like Jesus. So we live in him we act like him. We love like him. In fact, verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is a, a sounds like a preacher story, but it really isn't. And I've been around for a very long time. This thing only happened once to me. And therefore, I don't want to act like this is a normal life pattern. Uh, although for some people it might be this one time for me, a man walked in, uh, asked the secretary where the 
the pastor was, and she pointed down to my office, and he came in. He said, do you have a minute? And I went, yes, sure. Never met him. He ran a financial thing, um, I think a mortgage business and, and more. Therefore, I, I know nothing about his business because I, um, I know nothing about money. But he started, he said, uh, I want to know more about your church. And, you know, a lot of people then would start handing over brochures and let's tour the building. But I, I guess I'm just not a lot of people. So I looked at him and said, why would you want to know? <laughs> Something brought you in the door. So tell me why you're here. Uh, and as a, as a guy that works in business, he understood that. So he said that he worked with uh, real estate people a lot because they would you know, do mortgages to his company or they would, other, I don't, again, I don't know. And he named two of them that he said, I, these two uh, I've always noticed, always do for the best for their client when they could do better for themselves. But instead they put the client first. They treat everybody with such scrupulous honesty and kindness. And so after I've been doing this for years and noticing this, I went up to one and said, where do you go to church? And they said this one. And, and he asked the other one, where do I go to church? Where, where are they? And he also said this one. He said, so whatever you've got here, I, I want that. I, that was cool. That was like turning yourself in. We, had, we baptized him within days because he saw the love of God and said, I want in. And an expression I've used for decades came actually originally from a professor in India who was forbidden by law to speak of Christ as he taught his classes in university in India. But he would invite the students over to his house and, and cook them food. He would make sure they had clothes and shoes. He would take care of them whenever they were sick. And they, they always looked, one, why? And the professor said, I love them till they ask me why. And then I tell them about Jesus. And I thought that that was the most brilliant thing I'd ever heard. And I've tried to pattern my life that way. And if anybody wants to see that my imperfections, that's easy to find those two. But I've tried. Isn't this cool? No one's ever seen God, but they can see God through you. You ever thought about that? Somebody goes, I don't believe in God. Look at him and say, watch me. And if you have any other explanation for doing what I'm doing, you go for it. And that puts a big burden on you, no doubt. I've done that with people. And then known I was living in the goldfish bowl. But it's worth it. Oh my, so much worth it. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Past tense, it's already here. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This whole... <laughs> If you're listening on a podcast, I'm making a circle with my hands. The world. He's a big enough God to save us. So what are you going to do about it? I'd suggest joining the team and being a part of God's presence on earth. Look at verse 15. This one really, really caused a lot of harshness and explaining away in Bible classes through my youth and, and through my early adulthood. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And we'd be going, eh, but only after. 
they do these five steps of salvation and then they do these five acts of worship and then they do this and they and all of that is left out of john he says if you acknowledge that jesus is the son of god god lives in him and he in god and so we know and rely on the love god has for us god is love he's going to do it to you again whoever lives in love lives in god and god in him we would twist those words and try to find a new definition of love and in and it was just ridiculous no let's just take it as given take it as stated if john this apostle that jesus loves is, is right in there and he knows the story let's believe him i know it's hard for us to deal with because we've had two thousand years of trying to do a pseudo temple like worship where we have to go to a particular place and do particular things for god to like us when he wants us to live for us we get this weird idea that god's more concerned about what we believe about him than how we live for him and nothing could be more absurd but that's the standard unspoken perhaps even unthought but it is absolutely lived out that we care more about what you believe than in how you behave which is just a shame that's the opposite of first john no wonder as i said when we first started looking at this book when i was at a church and young men started reading this and that's all the wednesday bible class was they took turns reading all the way through the book it hit me pretty quickly in you know if you preached this word for word most churches i know wouldn't hire you that's kind of a sobering thought verse 17 in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because because in this world we are like him just act like jesus what did jesus do read the gospels again and again and again absorb them and then look at the criteria again we see it constantly in matthew 25 jesus lays out the criteria for those that he's bringing into heaven and it's all about loving and caring for folk it's amazing there is no fear in love verse 18 there is no fear in love preachers if any ministers preachers priests rabbis um, pastors are listening to this stop frightening your people there is no fear in love period there's no fear who what if i love the wrong person now don't worry what if i love when i should be condemning now your, your job's not to condemn your job's to love there's a judge of the universe not you well but, but but certainly i should speak up well you can speak the truth in love paul said that but notice that word love got stuck back in there better be careful that when you draw a line of fellowship you're not on the wrong side of that line it might be best just to overdo love gotta tell you friends it comes in handy it's a real good thing when you try to outlove everybody and you'll never outlove god but you can try to at least get closer to his standard how's that there's no fear in love because perfect love cast out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears has not been made perfect in love really difficult greek there i'm told 
I'm always very open about the fact that I have to go to people that know Greek and all of its uh, wiles and all of its subtleties because I'm not one of those people. But I am told that this can be translated about a dozen ways. And in fact, if you've got like a Bible app, go through and look at a bunch of different translations of this and you'll see they really are trying hard to say what it says. But some of them just give up like the message it just paraphrases it, which is not a ding on the message. That's what it is. It's a paraphrase, not a translation. But it's, it's been a very helpful paraphrase for a lot of people. So look at that. Look at New Revised Standard Version. Look at the New American Standard Version. Look there, as many as you want to. It's just kind of informative. What does it mean when it says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love? It means if you're afraid, it just means you haven't worked on the love enough and accepted the love of Christ enough. You're still listening to judgment from judges that aren't qualified to be judges, AKA the world. The more you trust the love of God, the more you will love and the less you will fear. It is, um, it's, it's worth giving it a go. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you remember a while ago, just a, just a few minutes ago, that I brought up that some people are very, very hard to love? They are. And sometimes you will be very, very hard to love. Certainly me, I, there are times I'm hard to love. That doesn't get us off the hook. We're still called, commanded, and identified by love. And I would even say, especially toward the unlovable. I know, I know. I wish you'd told us to do something different, like do the five acts of worship and the five steps of redemption and the five whatever else's. So we could just checklist it and then turn in our homework at the end of the day, but he didn't do that. He gave us something much, much, much simpler and many times, many orders of magnitude harder. You show me your love. Kind of like the book of James, saying you're telling me to be warmed and filled doesn't do anything for me. You, you show me your faith by your works. And a lot of people are going, oh no, works-based salvation. Not at all. It is, can we tell? Can we tell that you know Jesus? Quick story. And then we'll end and head into next week, all right? There were three of us out to play golf, a couple of members of my church and me. And uh, so we're about to tee off. A gentleman goes, oh, hang on, hang on. Uh, they've sent me out here to join you. A man had come on as a single. And if you don't know this, if you don't golf, it's fine. Um, they want you to go out in groups of four so that you're not dribbled all over, like a group of two and a group of three. And they, they like to clump you together to move things along. So here he comes. Now we couldn't help but notice that there was a saying on his hat, which was a, a bit offensive. And there was a saying on his t-shirt, which was eh, ill-advised, if not rude. But uh, the two guys with me, one was a deacon, um, one was just a member. And he looked, they kind of gave me a look and I just shrugged. Uh, so we tee off. We all hit our shots. He hits his shot, curses. Comes up to the next shot, hits it, curses. He's on the green, putts, misses, curses. <laughs> it's just, as we're about to tee off on hole three, 
my deacon looked over at me, just kind of raised his eyebrow, and I said, all right, fair enough. And I, I said to the gentleman, sir, you, we're glad you're with us. Hope you're having a great time. Uh, I just thought if, if you wanted to know, you might want to know that you're playing golf with a pastor and a deacon, uh, three Christians here. And he cursed and said, I don't mind, I'm a Christian too. And we all just kind of went, okay, good, good disguise. <laughs> what do you say? Friend, listen, I didn't say good disguise out loud. I really wanted to. I really, oh, you're undercover. Well done, you. Uh, no, no. I just want to say, let's not make it hard to tell. Let him see Jesus. And let's live like Jesus. All right, on your way. I'll see you next week. God bless. Cheers.